All right, getting the hang of this. I mean, it's still hard, but <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just like technologically challenged. All righty. Uh, can we turn off the AC now? And now it's like, like cool down some or no, babe? Are you like, no, I know, but I'm just saying, is everyone cool enough? We were getting our dance on, so <laughs> we needed some air. Yeah, so good. So we're going to just dive right in today. I know worship went much longer than usual, but I mean, who would want to have stopped it? Nobody. And if you did, we'll pray for you after. <laughs> kind of kidding, but serious. That was amazing. Such a great time. So we're not going to do a review today, so that will save on a lot of time too. And we're jumping into local leaders, which is really, really exciting. Um, which, which leaders are local leaders? Modal, yes. Modal are local. And what are their roles? Yeah, you said elders, deacons, leading men and women. Rob was gone. He had to leave for the photo. They have a photo shoot. Bishops, there we go. We'll have to tell Rob he bounced right before his debut. <laughs> so we're going to start off. Uh, oop, yeah, so we're going to start off uh, this morning. We're going to be talking about elders. And I want to just make a, as we're transitioning from sodal into modal, Number one, I want to just comment quickly. We talked about sodal leaders first, those ministers of the gospel from Ephesians 4. We talked about them first in order of realm of responsibility. Okay, so again, just reiterating, if I could have to say it a million times, I will, and, and then trust the Holy Spirit to do the, the internal work in us, to get out of us any ambition or any place of thinking that there's hierarchy in the church. I know that that's just so much of what our culture promotes, is that, oh, this leader's the top leader, and then it goes down from there. It's just not a biblical model. That's not what Jesus taught. It's not what, how the early church was. And so when we're talking about social leadership uh, and the reason why I start, started there, if you could envision it like a circle. I should have done a graph, but I'm not good with pictures. Tommy needs to do it. So if you think of it like a circle, the social leader have this big circle of responsibility, meaning just the responsibilities they have in establishing the church are in that big circle. And then you have the elders inside. They have a circle within that circle of their realm of responsibility. And so the, the reason why I'm starting with elders is also because they are the highest realm of responsibility in the local leadership. They have the most responsibility within the local leaders. And again, get rid of hierarchy, get rid of like, oh, they're the man, so let me aspire to be that. No, it, it's it's work. <laughs> okay. Right. Get it in your mind. This is work. We're laboring for the establishment of the kingdom. So you have a gift that enables you as a social leader to have higher capacity to do this massive realm of work that you have to do. And then local leaders have a capacity given by God to do that work. So just a couple of different differences. Social leadership, remember we said they're recognized by their gift by other mature leaders. So you can see already, you know, it's it's kind of not always easy. Sometimes you have to get to know somebody, but you can see by their gift, they're going to be functioning in their gift. Remember my story about being in New York and taking over the, the young adults group. 
that was my gift. It was immaturity, but it was my gift. You know, just just had to do its thing. There was pride in there. There were, there was ambition. So, but that that's kind of what it's saying. You recognize by the gift and by other mature leaders that are recognizing that acknowledging. Whereas modal leadership, these roles that we're going into now, they're recognized by character. That's huge. <laughs> Recognized by their character and skill by other mature leaders. Skill meaning that they're able to handle difficult situations, to bring counsel, peace into disruptive times, to ground people in sound doctrine. So they're acknowledged by that. Their, their character stands out among everybody else. Whereas the social leaders, their character development is an intentional and intense process because you have the gift already. Like myself, I was functioning in the gift and I needed intense <laughs> discipleship to work on my character because I had none or very little, right? So it was like, oh, we've got to rein this girl in and teach her, like refine the character, like show her what humility is, strip her of all these other things. It becomes a development. I was not acknowledged because of character. I was acknowledged because of gift. Whereas modal, they're acknowledged because of their character. Okay, huge. And then the modal leaders are acknowledged and appointed for demonstration of the role. A great example of this is Jay and Marie. They functioned as deacons without anyone asking them to function as deacons. They naturally did it. They just flowed out of them. They were serving in every opportunity from the time we had five people till now, they've just always naturally done it and they were recognized and acknowledged for taking initiative in their service and being leaders. Their character, their, their perseverance, their steadfastness, their everything pointed to that. So they were acknowledged because of that by demonstrating their role. Already elders, you'll see some of the function so elders, bishops as well, they're already demonstrating. They're the people that people in the community want to go to to talk to for counsel. I mean, they're the ones that are shepherding, like, oh, I have a hard issue. I need to go to these people because they're going to be great listeners. They're going to be like mom, moms and dads and really care for my development and, and who I am and what I'm going through. Um, so for a SOTO leader, training for ministry happens while doing ministry. So your character development, your gift development's happening while you do it, linking arms. And actually the same is here um, for modal leaders. They're grounded in sound doctrine, skilled in grounding believers in sound doctrine. That's a huge key piece. You see them functioning in that, that they're going to be grounded and they're going to help others be grounded. And then this next point, needs, okay, sodal leaders need. And when I say need, I mean need. It is a necessity. You need modal leaders to accomplish local establishment. You need them. You need them. It is God's design. It's how he purposed it. It is healthy family. You need them. And sodal leaders can't establish without modal leaders, no matter how gifted. And I, I, I mean, talking from experience, I can do a lot of the plow work and the, the, you know, the establishing stuff, structures. There will come a time where I'm like, where things are healthy here. And I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. I can't stay. And if I was the only one here, there were no modal leaders 
that were in position, I would die here. And that's not because of, you know, you guys know I love everybody here deeply, but I would die here and everyone would feel it. It's not. It's not my permanent function. I, because of the gift that God has given me, I have to go at some point. I have to. And if I were the only one here, which you see this, I would be burnt out, depressed, going into, you know, whatever, because I couldn't really flow in my role. I would just shrivel up and die at some point, solely based off of that point. And modal leaders cannot establish without sodal leaders, no matter how much character they have or no matter how grounded they are in sound doctrine. The gifts and the roles are different purposely by God to work together to create healthy family. It's like the, the, the nuclear model of husband and wife, father, mother. Can a father do it by himself? Sure, but it's not going to produce the design that God created from the beginning, right? It's much better. Husband, wife working together, mother, father working together for the establishment of the family. Okay, does that make sense? It is God's design. We're talking biblical establishment, not just a church that's functioning. There's a lot of churches that function with just soto leaders and a lot of churches that function with just modal leaders. But what often happens in those situations is burnout, depression, heaviness, and you get to a point where I just can't do this anymore. And because you can't do it anymore, you weren't designed to do it anymore. It's not God's design, right? So I just wanted to clarify that there is a, a need, a necessity for both to work together. One cannot go without the other to be according to God's design. And of course, we want God's design. His is best. So elders, the word for that is pres presbyteros, which sounds like the word presbytery, right? And that's a word in the Bible as well. And it has uh, a couple of different meanings in scripture. It could mean an elderly or an older senior person. They're an elder, like you're my elder, like you're 20 years older than me or 10 years older. It indicate it also indicates a person of responsibility and authority at community functions. And then this other one, those involved in the leadership of the church, along with the apostles to perform diverse administrative functions, ordination, etc. We'll get into the functions. So this is the elder, this last thing that I um, caused to be italic and emphasize that's what we're talking about today this leadership role in the church that's walking alongside apostles to perform in fivefold ministers of the gospel to establish the church and i know i quote from these this book a lot because it's such a good book if you want to read the whole thing you should um this first quote is talking about the interpretation of scripture right there's lots of scholarly differences around this these passages but um what Patsy, Arthur Patsia says, he said, several possibilities emerge. One, that elderly men and women were to be honored and respected by the Christian community. Okay, clearly, that's what we want anyway. <laughs> that elderly men and women are to be honored and respected in the body. Culturally, that, that goes against culture too, right? Because there's so much dishonor like, oh, I know better when you're... 15 to 28, it's like, I know better than you, 40-year-old. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. There's a lot more experience there. They've gone through a lot more in life. 
to be able to share with you, okay? So they're, they're to be honored and respected. And remember from our sound doctrine groups, older men teach younger men. Older women teach younger women, okay? So that's the elder. And then two, that not all elderly men and women or older men and women belong to a council of elders with specific responsibility of church leadership. Okay, so we might have a lot of older, we will have a lot of older people in our community does not mean that they're instantly elders. Oh, they're older, they're an elder. No, no, they do have a responsibility to teach the younger generation, but they're not instantly having the responsibility. Remember that role, a realm of responsibility as a leader in the church. Does that make sense? And then the third, either that bishops and elders were co-equal or interchangeable or that bishops were chosen from the body of elders. We're going to talk about bishops next week, but I hold to this understanding that bishops were chosen from a body of elders, okay? So the elders have a council. We're going to dive into this. Um, and the second quote, Kevin Giles, who's a scholar as well, he said, takes the second alternative, concluding that bishop is an elder chosen to oversee or manage a house church. We're going to talk about that next week, what that looks like in our community. It's exciting. Yeah. So, so elders is, is the next realm of responsibility, role of responsibility in the church. There's usually a council. We're going to look at the pattern. Remember, so in the Old Testament, elders in Israel, they were in the Jewish synagogue, and they were highly respected and honored by the entire Jewish nation and were leaders. Okay, can we, can we acknowledge for a second that God is amazing? <laughs> I know we're doing this the whole service, but seriously, that he started off with elders in the beginning. When his nation first was born, his people, he set elders in place. Remember, Moses was leading the people of Israel, and he could not handle it. They were coming to him day and night for counsel. Hundreds of thousands of people, <laughs> 12 tribes, right? And, and his father-in-law, an older person, not an elder, an older person came and said, what are you, dumb? <laughs> what are you doing? No, so you need to select leaders from every tribe who can be trusted to give counsel to the people so that this burden would not be too heavy for you to bear. And he appoints 70 elders to then be those people that people go to to get counsel, to help settle disputes. From the beginning, they were a council, a group of leadership for the people of God to help counsel people um, and, yeah, settle disputes. They were like judges. Like, okay, let me hear the situation. So they walked in a lot of wisdom. They were highly respected and honored in the group of Israel. So those, just to show progression, they were representative body to help with counsel, judging matters. These elders became the Sanhedrin. So you remember the Sanhedrin from the New Testament. So sad to see the progression, how it started with Moses, these excellent, wise men who just helped counsel the whole nation of Israel into the Sanhedrin which literally means, that word means sitting together, which is why elders are considered to be a council, because they sat together. They would sit at the entrance of the cities and judge together. They would talk through matters. Um, and then there were assemblies of either 23 or 71 elders, and they became known as rabbis after the destruction of the Second Temple. 
they were appointed to sit at the tribunal in every city in the ancient land of Israel. So they were actually leaders of city groups, you know, not just one, a whole city. That's how the church in the New Testament was, right? They said to the church of Galatia, to a whole region, to a whole province, not like when they said that it would be like the church in Carmel, which would include every community in Carmel, not just us, because there's two other church communities here. If it was a letter to the church in Carmel, it would mean every believer in this community. So the Sanhedrin were like that. They were overseeing multiple local bodies of believers. In the New Testament, the Sanhedrin trial of Jesus refers to the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish judicial body following his arrest in Jerusalem and prior to the trial before Pontius Pilate. So they were not in step with the Holy Spirit. They had no idea that Jesus was the Son of God, and they judged him wrongfully. Ugh, yuck. So then we, so that's kind of the just brief overview of the Old Testament, how we get to have elders in the New Testament. They're already functioning. They were all, always part of it, the nation of Israel, the people of God. So then the church launches in Acts 2 with this, bam, Holy Spirit's poured out. They're speaking in tongues. Uh, 3,000 get added to their number after Peter stands up and preaches the gospel. And then we see in uh, thereafter, soon after, that there were elders in Jerusalem. So they don't mention it, them being appointed or anything like that. They just We know that there were elders in Jerusalem because Luke mentions it a little further on in Acts. This would lend to the belief that elders were appointed by ministers of the gospel. So the disciples are now apostles appointed by God for this work, and they say, we need elders. Makes sense that they would choose elders, right? It was everything that they had known. God had always ordained that from the beginning of time. It was not just some random thing that they came up with. It was had been happening and functioning. They under, had an understanding of what elders were supposed to be. So they appointed elders that in Jerusalem. Paul gets sent out. We Long story short, we get to Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas are at the church in Antioch where we have prophets and teachers, they get sent out, marked by the Holy Spirit, and they go on a church planting journey. They're preaching the gospel. They're gathering believers. You're seeing signs and wonders. Incredible stuff's happening. And at the end of Acts 14, at the end of that first missionary journey, Paul appoints elders in every church. Acts 14, 23. It was a very important piece to him, right? Because he's leaving. He's not staying. He's saying, here, here are your leaders. <laughs> Bye. I'll check in on you in a little while. So these elders were clearly able, capable to, to uh, um, help the local body continue to be established in sound doctrine, to guard over, to shepherd them, right? That, that we talked about pastors, the ministers of the gospel, pastors, elders, the same. It's a shepherd guarding the flock, right? So he appoints leaders, and then he later gives instruction to both Timothy and Titus to do the same thing, teaching them what to look like, look for as they appoint. So thus making it a normative model. We see it not only in the beginning of the church, but the beginning of the nation of Israel. <laughs> so clearly a pattern to have these elders positioned. But then also it is patterned all throughout Acts. We see elders in the church as leadership. And then we see Paul saying, Timothy, Titus, when you continue this work, when I'm gone, appoint elders. And this is what you should look for when you appoint them. Okay? 
clear, clear instruction for what we need to be doing. He didn't leave us without a plan. There's a clear plan. <laughs> and how awesome is that? It makes it easier <laughs> to kind of follow the path. God laid it out for us <laughs> clearly. So I'm going to look at these um, three passages real quick, Acts 20. And this is Paul talking to the elders. It says, from Miletus, he sent word to Ephesus and called to himself the elders of the church of Ephesus. So a, a council of people. And he starts to talk about how, if you're reading this, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. It's a lot of verses. But he starts to talk about how he was with them the whole time and that he was with them with humility and that he suffered many things while with them, but he didn't shrink back, declaring them anything that was good for their teaching, their benefit. And he was going house to house, uh, testifying about repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And then he's telling them, now I have to leave. I'm going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's prompting him to go. It's hard for him. They're all weeping together. That's going to happen when we leave, right? We're all going to sob together. Yeah, I don't even like to think about it. Don't worry, it's years, years down the line, right, Lord? <laughs> but but that's that shows the deep connection, deep relationship. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't like, oh, I'm bouncing in, bouncing out, no relationship. You don't know me, I don't know you. Deep relationship, deep connection, so much so that they wept on each other when he left. And he's telling them, um, you'll no longer see my face. And I'm just going to testify that I'm the innocent of the blood of all people, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now this part, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. He starts to give them instruction. Okay? Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock on which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own men, selves will, uh, your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you with tears. He was with them for three years. And now I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands serve my own needs and the men who are with me. In everything I showed you, so he's setting the example, that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the words which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. So very emotional, tight relationship. You can feel it. I mean, the scripture comes alive when you see this. They're kneeling to together in a circle. Paul's praying out loud. They're all weeping loudly. They're, they're hugging him and kissing him. And there's a sorrow that he's departing. But he had just given them this clear instruction, okay? Yeah, it's family. That's the dynamic that we want. That's the culture. That's, that's what it's meant to be, yeah. Ministry versus family, right? Like doing ministry. Paul wasn't just doing ministry. He was cultivating relationship and imparting something of life. So according to this, some of the things for elders, they work hard, 
and diligently follow Paul's example in his service and in surrender and giving up his life and serving the communities and laboring for the establishment. Serve with humility. And he said through tears and trial that sometimes it's not going to be easy, that you need to stick it out, stand with, labor with the community for their growth, for their establishment, teaching and exhorting publicly. That's part of their function, that they're to teach and exhort the body. Guard the flock as overseers and shepherds, that they're really watching the growth of the body, making sure that there's no false teaching, nothing false, no false gospels coming in, and they're addressing things as they're coming up. Oh, wow, that's a false belief, a, a wrong paradigm. Let me help them come into the right paradigm. Guard from outsiders who try to devour, devour the flock with false teaching and guard the community from insiders who are divisive with a false gospel. So there might be outsiders and there might be insiders, and he's basically saying, be on guard. Watch over the flock. You that, that denotes levels of relationship, right? I can't, you know, Madison I've just met, so I don't really know if she's believing anything that's, that's not biblical. I don't know that because I don't know her. To be an elder, I need to be in the person's life. I would have to get to know Madison, have lots of conversations with her, do life with her to really know if she's walking in truth, right? And that's a major difference in some of how of our church communities function, right? Or the church in our culture is like, you know, oh yeah, the, nobody knows the pastor, nobody knows the leader, and there's no relationship. So how do you know? How can you shepherd? How can you guard if you don't know people intimately? And that's typically why elders and bishops work together. We'll talk about that next week. The next verse is 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 22. This is just instruction for the elders. This is Paul writing to Timothy. So he's saying, when I'm gone, this is what you do. The elders who perform their leadership duties well are to be considered worthy of double honor. What he's talking about there is financial support. But that word honor is also very rich, right? Worthy of double honor. And not just any old elder that might just be, you know, in the old paradigm sitting in a room making decisions. He says, who perform their leadership duties well. <laughs> okay? It's not one without their other. They're both together. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching the word of God concerning eternal salvation. It says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's treading out grain, and the, the worker is worthy of his wages. He deserves fair compensation. Do not accept an accusation against an elder unless it's based on the testimony of at least two or three witnesses. That's pretty intense, right? So some person, one person comes and accuses. You say, okay, well, we're not going to accept that accusation unless there's two or three to confirm that this is actually real. Because who else is the accuser? right? <laughs> the devil. And there are people who accuse very quickly and easily uh, motivated by him, you know, moved by him. And then there's accusations that are real. Things did real happen. And those would be confirmed by two or three people. Don't quickly accuse them. But if they're continuing in sin, bring them before the church. That's heavy. That's weighty. You know, we don't do that very often, but it's to, to warn the whole body, like, don't hide your sin, especially as leaders. This is like a, you're leading people. You're shepherding the flock. There's a role of responsibility. You can't be hiding stuff. You just can't be. God will bring it into the light because he cares, because he loves us. 
He says, I solemnly charge you, the presence of God in Christ Jesus is chosen angels, that you guard and keep these rules without bias, doing nothing out of favoritism. Do not hurry to lay hands on anyone, ordaining or reproving them for ministry, or in reinstating expelled offenders, and thereby sharing the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. So that some of the core uh, work of elders perform their duties well. And some of the duties were, we just talked about in Acts 20, and we're going to talk about in the next scripture. And that that would produce for them, or they deserve honor, financial support. That The church provided for elders that were giving their life. They didn't have time to work a job because they were constantly moving from house to house. Paul said in his example of Acts 20, day and night for three years. I went house to house teaching and preaching. Did he have time for a job? No, he didn't. He was receiving his support from the community of believers so he could fully do his role. Okay, it's not about money. Like we talked about pastors, fivefold pastors, right? It's not about the money, but that money is meant to alleviate them to actually establish when they need that time to establish. They're working hard at preaching and teaching. So preaching and teaching is a, is a function that they function in the church. Of course, they're, they're instructing, giving sound doctrine. They're setting an example for the body. Therefore, they're rebu rebuked publicly for sin. And then the next one, not appointed by favoritism or bias. This is really important because as a, especially myself as an establisher, It'd be pretty easy to say, oh, I really like so-and-so. Pull them on leadership. Oh, they're my friends. Pull them on leadership. It's not, that's what Paul was opposed to. Don't do it by bias or favoritism, who you like, who you're connected with. It has to be by the leading of the Holy Spirit and God showing you who it needs to be. And that might hurt people's feelings. It might at some point hurt somebody's feelings and you didn't choose them. But we're not doing things off of bias and favoritism or to puff people up, right? We're all in this together to do something for the Lord. It's about him. It can't be about who I like, who you like, etc. It's who's demonstrating it, who's living it out. Who can we see that character, that gift that the Holy Spirit's highlighting? Last scripture, Titus 1, 5 through 9. And this is Paul writing to Titus, again, one of his disciples. He says, for this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains. So he's an apostle. He's there establishing the believers. And Paul left him there to continue to, to do what was left over and appoint elders in every city as I ordered you. So, again, you see that they're, they're, big, they're bigger picture than other modal leaders because they're over a city. They're, they're over networks of churches. You know, they're, they're going to be stationed in one church, but they're also, as the community grows, as more churches happen, and I'm going to explain that when we get to bishops, they're going to be overseeing those small churches that are popping up everywhere because this hub church here is booming, and we've got to send people out, right? So then, namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, Having children who believe, not accused of indecent behavior or rebellion. For the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not, not a bully, 
Not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined, holding firmly the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those that contradict it. Okay, that's huge. See all those character qualities up there? I mean, I, I look at that and I'm like, oh, Lord, that's, that's, that denotes in itself a lifetime given to the Lord to allow him to do the work. So, so elders a lot of times will be older because <laughs> they've had time for the Lord to work these things out in their lives as well. So let's look at some of the, the highlights from this. They're to be hospitable, opening their home to people, welcoming people in, having people around the dinner table. That is a function that they're just working at. They're just doing. They're stewarding what's been entrusted, the sound doctrine, the, the people. The people are being entrusted. Paul, Timothy, Titus, entrusting community of believers to the elders. And they're stewarding that well. They're not just being flippant and getting lazy and saying, oh, I just don't feel like doing that. Like, oh, it's too much work. No, they're working at it. They're following Paul's example, laboring for it. And then they hold fast to sound teaching and are able to exhort in sound doctrine. That's why we have sound doctrine groups, people. <laughs> we want, our elders need to be doing that. Our leaders need to be doing that. The community should be able to know and have understanding of what is sound doctrine, to communicate it, to communicate what we believe and why we believe it. And elders especially, because they're establishing everybody in it. And so that they'd be able to refute any that contradict. So someone comes in saying, oh, that's not right. Homosexuality is allowed in the church. It's God-ordained. Men can marry men. And the elders stand up and say, let's have a conversation. It's not biblical. Let's have a conversation. Okay? They should be able to. They wouldn't be wavered and say, oh, no, I don't want to be, like, political or put people out of the church or... You know, they're, they're not wavered by that. They know how to lovingly instruct, to help people come into a biblical paradigm in a way that produces life and joy, right? That's, that's what they're doing. They're not just like, no, you're wrong, <laughs> right? It's about relationship. We're not in the old paradigm of ministry. Sometimes you might have to say, okay, you got to sit down. If someone's being crazy in the church... You might have to exercise that authority, but not usually. Usually it's going to be 99% of the time it's going to be a conversation. Hey, come over for dinner. Let's have a conversation. Let me hear what you think. Let's have a talk about this, right? And elders do that effectively. They're able to. It's, it's a skill that they've honed to be able to do that. So some of the functions that we just saw, let's just break it down some more. They have oversight and manage, management of the entire city, church, community. Okay? So, I mean, as we're talking about these things, Stu and Christy are elders in this house. They're, they're, they've been appointed. They were appointed in January as elders. And as we grow and multiply, this will be their position. Right now, we only have this community right here. But there, there's going to come out of us many more church communities. And they'll be part of that council of people, though, of oversight, management. Um, they're 
One of their functions is speaking and exhorting, teaching and refuting and sound doctrine, including counseling. Okay, so that's the shepherding part. They're they're so grounded in doctrine, sound doctrine. They're leading others, helping others come to that understanding, and they're counseling people through it. They're also part of confirming and commending trained ministers of the gospel. Remember, we said you're you're modal until you're sodal. If you have a sodal gift, you're modal until you're sodal, meaning you're in the local community. You're grounded, you're building relationship, and the elders alongside the ministers of the gospel are going to acknowledge that gift and then appoint together, commend them to the work together. Because elders know deeply the people in the body. They're seeing it. They'll know also when you're ready because there's relationship. Um, dispersing aid to community from collection of apostles. So apostles and elders together are working through the finance, finances. Where are we giving? What are we giving to? How is it being distributed? Who's in need? It's elders being city over the city network of churches are going to also know where there's need. They know the people. They're in deep connection. Oh, there's famine over here. We've got to send. There's a great need over here. We've got to send money. Decisions of corporate property matters. The elders were in Jerusalem, and they were um, also giving instruction to the deacons. They were there with the apostles to appoint deacons into place in that uh, Acts chapter 6. Um, and so sorry, but I forget what 432 through 37 is. You can look it up, but it had something to do with that. So <laughs> that's awful. Oversight in grave matters of discipline. Now, that's not a fun one. You know, that's not fun. Discipline's not fun. It doesn't feel fun. When it's like, oh, somebody is really persisting in sin. That's what a grave matter of discipline is, is they just, they don't care. There's no repentance. And you have to address those things in the church because we're a body. Remember, if, if my finger's broken, it affects my whole hands. Right? I can't even play guitar right now because one finger is broken. And not fully healed yet. That's how the how sin works in the body of believers. Someone is out of joint, broken, in persistent sin, and it disables the whole hand. And that's why these things have to be taken care of. If I just kept breaking my finger over and over and over again, that would not be loving or good or anything. I'd have to just cut it off. Because <laughs> otherwise I would just not be able to use my hand ever. Because of the pain of it being broken over and over and over again. That's like someone persisting in sin. Just like hammering the hand over and over again. Not, not allowing for healing. Okay? If we, the, the elders are, are involved in those matters where you say, no, we've, we've got to discipline this. We've got to bring healing to this. To a persistent matters of sin. Oh, that was my last side. So, these are... This is a huge role, as you can see, <laughs> covers a lot of area, and it's extremely important that we understand that in the community to give honor where honor is due as well. And there's also invitations. Sue and Christy are stepping into their role more and more and more. They're functioning in these things and more and more and more because we're developing. We're not where we're fully at, none of us, the whole team, we're developing. We know that as a community, right, we're being established. So all of us on the leadership team, we are leaders here. There's real authority there. 
God-given, positioned, acknowledged by man, but we're also all growing and all uh, walking more and more in our gifting and our calling, growing as a team. But there's these there's honor in this, that they are functioning in this way. They're, they're also growing in this local body to then be able to do this at whatever level when we start to multiply. There's going to be more elders in this house. You better believe it. As we grow and increase and multiply to many house churches, we're not going to have the Moses situation, <laughs> right? We don't want them burned out. We don't want them to just not be able to handle it themselves. We will have a council of elders functioning in this role that gets me excited. <laughs> and then those bishops that we're going to talk about next week, you're going to see how they work so much together with the elder for God's design. This is God's design. It's beautiful, and it's going to display his glory in the earth. And this morning I was um, praying and just felt like we needed to take some time at the end here to have some prayer. So Kristen, if you could come up and um, the leadership team, I messaged you guys. I just, you know, so much happened during worship, but I just want to give opportunity for some more prayer if, if something's on your heart and, and you, didn't get a time, you didn't get a chance to pray during worship, 